Hi, my name is Harris. I'm one of your podcast hosts. I'm also a lawyer at Treadstone Law. For most Canadians buying, selling, or refinancing real estate, a lawyer is the last thing on their mind. That's unfortunate because lawyers play a vital role in the process. But what choices do Canadians have? Lawyers can be very expensive. Well, Treadstone Law offers resources to Canadians so they have access to the information they need. Whether you sign up for a live workshop or a mailing list, we cover topics to help you make informed decisions and avoid costly mistakes. It's advice you can start using today, and best of all, it's free. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click the link below to get access right now. If you're looking to retain Treadstone Law, it's never been easier. Our entire process is online. From completing the retainer agreement to your signing appointment, everything is done from the comfort of your own home. We're your digital lawyers. The best part of it is that you don't pay anything when you're retaining our firm. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click on the link below to retain us right now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Hustle and Grit. Today on our podcast, I've got Brandon Weiss. Brandon is a realtor in the greater Toronto area. He's had a passion for real estate from a very young age. His parents, who were in the real estate field themselves, brought him along to open houses on weekends. They would explain to him the value of real estate and how it's one of the most important assets an individual will have in their lifetime. As a sales professional, Brandon's approach has always been to provide service based on a client's specific needs. He believes that everyone has different ne- has different needs and wants. Each client requires different assistance in each circumstance. It is Brandon's firm belief that you and uh, that you and he are part of a team and he works with you as if your interests were his own. This same team approach and top level of service has led to the majority of Brandon's business being referral based. Brandon's passion extends to enjoying a very active lifestyle, and when he's not found um, helping clients, he's found golfing, skiing, and exploring Toronto in his spare time. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Excellent. Thanks for having me here today, Harris. No real problem. Just to kick things off, um, what got you into real estate? Like, I know that uh, it's a very popular industry in Toronto. What got you? What's your story behind becoming a realtor? What, what was it that your parents kind of brought you and showed you that kind of got you interested in the, the industry? So from a young age, I had a passion for it. I just, I loved the idea of what real estate can truly do for people. And you look at how many people have been involved in real estate, have made careers, made livings off of real estate. It's something that absolutely everybody needs at some point in their life, whether you're you're on the rental leasing side place to live, or if you're an owner, potentially an investor as well. And to me, I saw it as this incredible means to an end. So, you know, you can leverage your investment in order to get mortgages and then have more properties. And it's all about wealth creation in one way, but also it's about when you're living in a home, yes, you're paying it down, but it's your place. You have that pride of ownership. And for me, I, I always saw... How much my parents loved it my parents investing in it my parents being a part of it wanting to have different homes wanting to have a better future for themselves and real estate was that vehicle so that's what it was for me and it just grabbed me from a young age and 
so for me i i felt like i had to go into it it was definitely my calling so, so were your parents realtors or were they investors what were what, what were they doing when they got you uh, involved or showed you a little bit about, about real estate <laughs> they were they were both we mm. naturally we they were investors but also i went through that process with them you know many times to purchase our own house that we were living in mm-hmm. and i saw the different strategies and my mom did have a real estate license she was a realtor uh, for a time but really they did it mostly on their own on the side and just seeing the strategy behind it thinking about the different ways you can utilize it leverage it I just really appreciated how many different ways there were to do it, yet it's so individual. Each person's going to have different goals. And it's really nice to be able to craft a strategy and make it work no matter what the walk of life. Yeah, no, I, and, and what I've seen, and, and this is uh, not real estate uh, oriented, it applies to kind of um, your situation. I've seen that whenever um, somebody's parents bring them into a certain trade at an earlier age, there's tools that you grab when you're younger that you just can't grab when you're older. And that's my opinion because <laughs> you're, you're just you're going in with a new you're going in with a new mind, right? Your curious mind. It's not about for you at that age. It's not about we've, I've got to earn money. It's about what is all of this stuff in front of me? So, yeah, no. And, and it's the same thing with me. And, and the reason I say this because the same thing is because my dad used to bring me and he had a few properties that he owned. And at like, I, was, I remember I was like 10 years old. He said, go collect rent. I had no idea what I was doing, but it kind of gets you into that like mindset of what it's like, what's the ups and downs and how you have to kind of understand where people's perspectives are. They may be different from yours and how you're going to give them what they need. Yeah. And it's interesting because my parents to this day will still tell me <laughs> the story of how I love playing Monopoly. And I, I know it's a cliche, you know, it's a board game, this and that, but it, it actually led me to enjoy building something to get to that hotel. You land on it and you collect that rent. And that feels great. And of course, as a kid, what really grabbed me as well and another one, a realtor around the corner from our house, uh, he used to have Milano cookies, Pepperidge Farm. They were my favorite. <laughs> So, of course, at seven years old, I'd go in for these cookies, but then I realized, you know what? This guy's smart. And uh, now I'll I'll do little things like on football Sundays, I'll have an open house. I'll actually turn the TV on and put football on. So that way, you know, the men come in, they'll sit on the couch, and then I'll take the wife around and have a look. She'll love the place. He'll say, oh, this is a great open house. So it's, it's being creative in little ways like that to best help my clients as well. I, I love helping too. So it's win-win yeah and and i I feel like those kind of little things you have to be in the industry to know just because buying a house is an emotional decision it's not just like you know about Mm -hmm. the numbers the numbers do matter um and but that's just kind of a prerequisite to get through the door after that from my understanding right it's it's Mm -hmm. purely like can i envision myself in the house absolutely and and it's it's about helping uh, anybody a potential buyer to kind of understand that but going back to your monopoly thing i feel like i feel like (laughs) that is like from a just perspective of understanding um business understanding real estate it's not just about you know you're trading your four houses and you get a hotel it's about you got to start small and then you work your way up and then you work your way to better properties and those p- better properties can have bigger things on them. 
So the concept mm. is it's still like you're still playing Monopoly. It's just with real money. Exactly. But uh, stepping back a little bit, I saw that uh, on LinkedIn, did a little bit of stalking. I saw that uh, you went to university in San Diego. So did you grow up in the States? Yeah, so I was at uh, University of San Diego. Um, I was born there, so I'm a dual citizen. Um, but my mom's whole side is from Newfoundland, and I absolutely wanted to be in the city of Toronto. I, I realized what a massive network I had here, what a great reach, uh, just from working a little bit international. And I just had friends here. I, I had people here I trusted and made all the difference. And yeah, I haven't looked back since. And so you grew up on both sides of the border. So you both like you have connections. Do you still have connections in California from like your undergrad days or? You know, I still, I still have a lot of friends down there. Mm -hmm. The majority of them have left San Diego. So I really don't have as much of a tie there anymore, but I still love getting back. Beautiful, you know, sunny, yeah. 25 degrees every day, palm trees, golf courses, <laughs> good Mexican food. Yeah. No, you got to love Toronto if you're going to move here from that kind of weather. <laughs> you have to have a passion for Toronto. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, moving to just the experience. So I know we've talked a little bit about um, your background. And I know from our conversations, you work with like a host of different buyers. You could be a first time home buyer, you could be an investor. And I kind of want to focus a little bit about the first time home buyers, just because the climate today is so confusing. Investors, they are looking for information, but um, they're also kind of understanding where the market is. So I want to kind of start off with just understanding um, and giving some information to first-time home buyers because I don't think there's ever enough information for them. They're always looking for answers. What it's like working with you if I was a first-time home buyer? Do I just give you a call and say, "Hey, Brandon, I just need a house. Find me a house." What is it like? What's the process of working with you? Yeah, so it all it all starts with that phone call. I know for myself, a lot of the phone calls I get are warmer, uh, warmer connections, referrals. Um, I help the parents, so now I'm helping the, the kids. I help the kids, now I'm helping the parents. Oh, I help the best friend. So it's a lot of connections through that, uh, and that end up coming my way. And that it's a great testament to how hard I work to make it a great experience. And for a first-time home buyer, they don't have anything to compare it to. Mm. So the biggest thing I can say is that you need somebody with a lot of knowledge. There are no two home buyers or first time home buyers that are going to be the same. Everybody comes to it from a different view, a different desire, a different goal. So I want people to give me a call because I'm going to ask that question up front. What is important to you? One about the process and two about the end result. Now that end result is what I'm here to make happen as a professional as a really great professional, as somebody who has that trust from people doing it first time over and over and over with me, mm -hmm. my goal with that first time homebuyer is to make it such a good experience that they are advocates for us, that they tell people about us and they make sure that we meet more first time uh, homebuyers, that we meet sellers, that we meet investors. And that's the great part is that I get to teach them in a way. So when I bring up that, what's the end result? I'm going to chat through and I'm going to craft a strategy 
And I'm going to show and, and talk it through with them of, hey, these are the reasons why this is the path to go for your specific case. This is why I would recommend steering clear of this. These are the balance acts, balancing acts, because face it, not everybody has an unlimited budget to come yeah. buy the dream home. You have to balance a little bit. Yeah. And that's going to get down to what's more important to you, your location, having the perfect, perfect house, having the commute time. Is it that I need that rental income in the basement? Is it that you need parking? There are so many different things that can mean different things and be important in a different manner. So my job is to juggle all of that and get you absolutely as much as possible as a first time home buyer, but for anybody really, and also do it in a manner where you're learning through the process. And that way, the next time you kind of understand how to look at a property, how to think about it, because educated buyers are empowered buyers and they can make smart decisions that way. And that's all I want is to empower you to make the smart decision for yourself. And I can help you with that, but I can't be the one to make the actual decision. I mean, being a real estate lawyer and we're in the same industry, just at different ends of that transaction, I, I say the same thing. Uh, we can only advise and we can give good advice. And, and mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is pertinent to both of us, to both of our industries is I feel like um, when you're looking for a realtor, like you said, you want to, as a realtor, you're helping them so that they remember you. But as home buyers, the advice that I give them is you want to build, like similar to that, it's you want to have somebody that you build a lifetime relationship with. Just because a lot of people I find, okay, and correct me if I'm wrong because you're in a better position than I am, but I see that they have a, I, I feel like a poor understanding or misdirection where it's like, you know what, I'm just buying a house. As long as somebody knows a neighborhood, it's fine. Well, it's not that easy because you want somebody who helps you get into that first house, who knows you enough and what you want to be like, okay, this person wants another house, maybe in another 10 years, that's going to be like A, B, and C. Not only that, this person may want an investment property, right? And so how do I position this portfolio um, in essence so that they can create the most wealth over their lifetime? So it's not about buying a house. It's about building a portfolio that allows you to not only create wealth, but pass down wealth to your kids and everybody else. Yeah. And there, there are so many different ways to do it. So, I, and I think you hit it right on the head as well is that, you know, I'm not, and uh, I run uh, Adelson Weiss real estate group. It's myself, my business partner, Mark Adelson. And our tagline is simply built on trust, not transactions. It's not about just having one transaction. It's about giving you a proven track record of making smart recommendations and giving you smart advice, which is going to lead to us having a lifelong relationship and having that trust that, you know, people have an accountant that they can call. People have a lawyer they can call. Yeah. I want to be that person when you say, oh, who do you call for all of your real estate? That it's me. So I, I don't take that lightly. I've got to earn that. And I've got to keep that track record. And it's a great feeling though, seeing that we were 90 some odd percent of our business being referral based each of the last seven, eight, seven years. Wow. And that's an testament to doing it properly, giving really good advice. So, so for first time home buyers, um, going back to that, um, I know when we talked, you said that you had a kind of a guide. Right. So when you're sitting down with these first time home buyers, what kind of information are you asking them to kind of understand 
exactly how to build their portfolio, exactly kind of what you went over, where the do's and the don'ts and where they want and what their end product is, what kind of stuff um, do you ask? And, and the reason I ask is because if there's any first time home buyers li uh, listening, I want them to mm -hmm. kind of understand what information they should know um, if they ever were to reach out to you. And by the way, Brandon's information is going to be below if anybody does want to reach out. But what is that kind of first meeting look like? What are those first few questions? Yeah. So it's great to share when um, when the people listening here and people in general will be reaching out to me. What I ask first is, what is your five to 10 year goal? What is this home doing for you exactly? And I try and break it down from that level and get into their minds a little bit of, is this a starter home that we're trying to get into this for two, three years in order to then save money, build equity, and then put into our larger forever home? Is it that you want to buy a place that you're going to keep and move out of into your dream home? So that becomes your investment property. And they're very different little wrinkles. So we'll chat about that, those goals. We'll chat their strategy. We'll talk about how they see the process going and what questions they have. And, and what I mean by how the process is going, it's, um, you know, are we on the phone every single day? Do you prefer email updates? Mm -hmm. um, do you even want to look at X type of property? And we'll, we'll chat through what those balancing acts are, like I mentioned. So I really sit down and I try and get into the mind of the people I'm speaking to, because then that helps me enact and further their goals. So we, we would talk about that. We would talk about um, everything from budget. Budget is mm -hmm. probably the paramount portion of this. And that leads me to getting people in touch with a mortgage broker or two that I trust. A lot of times they may have their own mortgage broker. So I definitely want to get a clear financial picture as well. And to see what options that are available to me to work on their behalf. So for example, if, if somebody comes in with a pre-approval of a million dollars, but they also have 400,000 for a down payment, then I know that, okay, maybe yes, we'll go to that million mark, but we have the option to stretch a little bit. Mm -hmm. It puts them into a place that they may be able to stay a little bit longer. So I'll go through and I'll look at all the pieces of the puzzle and really engage and chat it through. And so my, I guess one thing that I want to kind of point out, and this kind of actually confuses me as well, and I'm assuming it confuses uh, first time home buyers and, and second time home buyers as well. I do feel like personally, if when I'm going to get a starter home, um, and you, you kind of differentiated starter home and forever home, and so when I'm getting that starter home, um, I mentally am looking for a forever home, but I don't have the budget for for a forever home. Is there ever like a difference between? Uh, making a conscious, intelligent investor decision for a starter home versus that emotional, hey, I want a forever home, um, but I can't get the forever home. So I'm going to get a starter home that's reaching there. Are those two ever coming together or are they kind of two different decisions? Like what's the most, I guess, what's the best way to approach that starter home? Yeah, so I, I also look at it from a resale standpoint okay. because each buyer is going to be accepting of call them deficiencies, uh, call them compromises, whatever it may be. So I always tell clients, hey, compromise on the smaller things to you. Don't make a large compromise. If you need to be in a specific location, don't compromise and be out of that location mm -hmm. simply to get a pool or simply to get 
the extra bedroom or something that really doesn't matter to you or won't have as big of an effect upon a property. So thinking about resale and seeing, is this a very unique property that when we market it on the back end, when we're selling it, it may be a little more difficult. And if so, what do we need to do on the front end and know on the front end to make an educated decision? Mm-hmm. So we will talk about one of an, an example that uh, would be first time home buyer looking at a condo and they have two options. They have a perfect square off floor plan that the majority of the market would look for and that they really like, yet they see another place that's very unique, very different. They like it equally, but it's because it grabs them in a certain way and it's a very niche product. We then have to know to, in order to make the proper recommendation, give the right advice, we have to think about resale. We have to think about, okay, are you keeping this to rent out and then move into your forever home? Or are you going to have an intermediary before you get to your forever home? Is this a part of your portfolio? So what is the end goal? Because if it is resale and simply be able to sell to the most amount of people, you may want to go with the squared off floor plan, the one that makes sense. It's a little easier for a living room and things like that. So it's going to come down to a little bit of situational awareness. But again, it's also knowing that end goal. And yeah. and that's the nice thing is with first time home buyers, we're going to spend a little bit of extra time explaining things. And I mean, some people don't want to explain, they just want to come, Hey, this is what we want. This is that. And it's very quick. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. But you also want to give them some sort of knowledge through the process. Yeah. And I mean, those are important conversations to have. I feel like those have to be difficult conversations too, because again, it's especially for like a, a realtor, your, your client wants a particular home telling them, Hey, listen, this is not the best decision is a hard conversation just because on the back end, they might not get the same resale value. Um, so what would you say is the biggest mistake or the most common mistake that first time home buyers have coming to you? Mm -hmm. Uh, during the actual process, um, kind of one of the things I think is a blind spot is preparation and actually having these conversations. Uh, it needs, it needs to be deliberate. And that's the part that I think people miss out on is, is making a plan, having a strategy to this. Uh, for example, first time homebuyers, a lot of what I deal with is teach them about offer nights, the, mm. the bid nights where people are bringing multiple offers and no, you're not getting the house at, at 999,000. It's priced there in order to sell at market value, a couple hundred thousand higher. And it's, it's hard to tell somebody, don't even look at the listing price. The price I'm going to tell you is what it will transact for. Yeah. And kind of wrapping the head around that is that everything's strategic behind the scenes. I'm going to be pushing this button within the offer. How does it interplay with price, closing, mm-hmm. conditions? And that's one of the biggest things is being able to be creative and have many different tools. As a first-time home buyer, you don't know about these tools, so it's my job to chat it through. So what I would say to first-time home buyers is, don't be afraid to share information, don't be afraid to have real discussions, and don't be afraid to to go slow, because slow is pro in a way. And when you take that extra time to think it through, yes, another realtor may be pressuring. Oh, you have to act now. You have to act now. There are times where I'm going to say that because there's another offer and it's going to be sold. 
but we also need to be able to have a real discussion to figure out if it's the best place. Yeah. And I think that I kind of what you, the balance that you're kind of getting at is between somebody saying, you know what, we're going to fire in all directions all the time versus, hey, we've got something and we've kind of had the conversations to know that this is not something like this is something that you want. However, sometimes people do get he hesitant because it's not like you're buying a chocolate bar that you could just kind of, uh, you know, swap it out the next day. But that actually like works against you, which is why you need a, a realtor who's kind of going in and saying, listen, I've seen a million dollar offer before. This is not something that's foreign to me. It may be intimidating to you. We've got to throw it in and we've got to throw it in this way. Yeah. And, and one of the things I tell I tell my clients is I may be completely calm right now and I understand you're feeling emotions and you're going through this roller coaster, but it comes down to it that I've seen this before. I've done this before many, many times. You get to do this one time as a first home buyer, yeah. first time home buyer. And I recognize and I recognize the value of that. And that's why I take the extra time. And I say, Hey, you know what, let's chat this through. And one of the things we constantly hear in, in the real estate industry is, uh, when a realtor will say, oh, you know, I just put an extra, you know, 25, 50,000 on this offer, you'll make it up in three months. Well, that doesn't really play because you're not buying or selling your home in the next three months. And, mm -hmm. and I'll ask, well, are you going to sell this home in the next three months? Great. Okay. No, you're not going to. So it doesn't really matter about making that up. We have to get you a good buy. And it's not just about throwing money at a property it shouldn't be done that way. That's just not the right way to do it. So um, you should recognize your own equity because you've owned it during those three months. Yeah. So we're not here to just throw money and waste your money. We got to be conscious about that. So awesome. And just to now switch gears and, and we've talked a lot about, <laughs> about <laughs> first time home buyers. Um, and a lot of these issues came um, because of the recent market conditions. I mean, we've had, some insane times. Um, I my opinion has been from day one, and we'll get into this a bit. Is um, that it's been a the the price increase in houses has been a bit of an illusion, um, and it's not necessarily what you think it is. And 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 the market uh, just as it wasn't as hot as it was before as as we thought it was. It's not as cool as what people are beginning to think of now. Um, what is your opinion? Let's just start from the base case. Give us your kind of understanding of what happened during uh, before COVID um, and then what happened during COVID and what are we seeing now in terms of the market itself? Because I don't I, I, I feel like we can't detach today from the past two years um, because it's all one continuous story, if, if for lack of better words. Exactly. And it's it is a little ironic not dissociating the two because you look at it and the biggest topic right now are interest rates. If you look at the truth across the board of it, our interest rates today are right back where they were pre COVID. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's all relative. Everybody now, you know, before COVID, everybody said, Oh great. Interest is so low. It's, you know, I'm getting rates in the threes. Oh, I'm in the low fours, yada, yada. Now you look at it and everybody was saying, those are great rates. Now it's all relative. We just came off record low rates and we're back to that three to 4%. And people are saying interest is so high. How am I going to ever afford a house? Well, it's all relative. How were people doing it 
before COVID, they were doing it very comfortably without any issue. So we're also going through a, a little bit of a, a mental hurdle here in that interest rate. Yes, yeah. it's coming up. Yes, it does have an effect on um, what people are paying. And I think you're really just seeing that great pause that we see in the industry every couple of years. Uh, a few years back, Kathleen Wynn announced the foreign home buyer tax. All of a sudden, for three to four months, the market went quiet. We didn't go up. We just stayed even. Yeah. People thought the bubble was burst. Look what happened. The run up right after that it was crazy. I think we went up 22% in the 12 months immediately preceding uh, that announcement. So you look at what's happening here and, and people are really just taking it slow. And I foresee that happening again, because all of the economic indicators, um, you look at supply and demand, we're still in an, a very high shortage. It's still a very strong seller's market right now. It is a yeah. seller's market. About six months of inventory is where you hit that kind of equilibrium between buyers and sellers. And right now we are at the highest uh, months of inventory we've seen in a long time. We're still only at 2.1 months. Yeah. So if you look at the numbers of it, we are in a very pro seller market right now. And people are saying, well, it's a buyer's market. Well, yes, it's relative. It is the most buyer friendly that we've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way and, to put it. You know, it's the most buyer friendly yeah. we've seen. And, for my buyers, that's why I'm saying take advantage of this because it's not going to last forever. Yeah. We are a major shortage. There's a lot of immigration coming. There's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. And when all of these people sitting on the sidelines realize and they get, oh, this is just relative. The market's not crashing. The world is not ending. Yeah. And they all flood back into the market. You're going to be back to that competitive bidding, in my opinion. Yeah. So... Take take advantage, especially first time home buyers. And I feel like um, the 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 one thing that people are like, oh my god, it's turning away from a seller's market, is because before you could throw in a deal or a, a put up, sorry, an offer or a house on the MLS, and that weekend you've got seventy uh, offers, and now you got to wait a few weeks. That's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's good for everybody. It's good for the sellers too, right? That a buyer could have yeah. a financing condition. They could have because you're gonna maybe you're gonna go buy the next house. You got your house sold. What are you gonna do when you're going and buy it? And that's what I don't think people are understanding. Yeah, exactly. There's it's a pendulum. It's it's definitely a good, healthy thing, even though it is still highly competitive. And it's funny you bring up that uh, people used to just throw a house on MLS and it would sell. Now. And I, this is another big thing for first-time home buyers. Talk, talk to realtors, see what their knowledge is, because right now, the good realtors are the ones that are are making hay while the sun shines and are doing really well. And the reason I bring this up is that realtors finally need to actually do their job. <laughs> it's like, especially for listings, realtors for the longest time have said, "Oh, I'll throw it up. I'll take, I'll take my own iPhone photos for a rental." No, that doesn't work. Get the professional photos, do the marketing properly, put together the correct clauses that you're going to put out to potential buyers. Yeah. You need to actually negotiate properly. And these are things that realtors didn't learn. And uh, there's a lot of good realtors out there. And it's great that I'm getting to interact with those. And I love being in that category of, uh, you know, the top 1% in the city doing a lot of deals. Uh, yeah. Last year, we 
like 90, my business partner Mark and I did 90 deals. Um, so we're very fortunate in that and it's because we actually work it. So I love that realtors actually have to do that now. I mean, and, and to put, uh, uh, your number into context, it's, I think about half of realtors do one or zero deals in a year. So, um, and, and like you said, I, I, hundred percent agree that like now, if you're, you're a, a listing agent has to do a little bit of work, you're still selling the house. It's not like the house is sitting there forever, right? You're just not selling it like the five, after the five minutes, you put it on the MLS, which then really, I mean, from my perspective, right, and, and this could be controversial, is how much of that 2.5 is justified? 2.5 is a decent chunk, and it's just it's there because of the expertise that the realtor's bringing to the table, of the ability to negotiate good deals, right? If you're just putting in uh, a, a blind kind of price, blind by blind, I mean, like you said, um, house is worth like 1.1 million. You put in, you list it at 900,000. You're not going you're not selling it for 900,000. You're just keeping it people blind so that it goes up. Now you have to negotiate, right? And it doesn't mean that you can't get the 1.1. You definitely can still get the 1.1, but the strategy is very different. It's no longer, everybody's just going to push it up. Exactly. You can no longer, I hate to say blind luck, but in a way you no longer get to rely on blind luck of, oh, somebody's just going to bring me the number you have to go get the number yeah. and that ta that takes hard work. It, it takes actually thinking through a strategy and going much more in depth, going into the minutia and the micro market that this listing is going to be in. And you have to think about all of these things uh, a lot more to make sure you're positioned in the market properly. Uh, small details like that actually make a difference now to the buyer when they're seeing it and, and face it, you're selling a property. You need to think about how you're marketing to the public, how you're marketing to that buyer, because it isn't about just getting an offer. It's about getting the offer from the person that is willing to give the most money for that property. And that's something I think that we've lost in realtors over the last last few years. So it's, it's really good to see the skill returning to it. And I understand that. And that's why I say um, interview realtors, get to know them, see mm -hmm. how they play and see how they work. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's nice. maybe I say that because I feel good about the product that we bring to the table. And <laughs> it is something that differentiates yeah. us. So yeah, yeah. I can say that with confidence. It's, no, I, and, and, and to your point, like I, I used to tell any of my clients coming in, if you're going to talk to, especially if you're looking for a listing agent, you need to find somebody who's good at negotiating because that's a very difficult um, task to or a skill to acquire because you need to know the market. Like you said, you need to know people. You need your IQ and your EQ both have to be operating at a very high level in order for you get to get that most for your money. But recently, you know what? Like it's like I can't say anything for the past two years just because you, you like you put the market, you put the house on the market and it's gone. And yeah. not to say that there's, I'm not going to like, there's tons of great realtors and they're, I would say, easy to find. <laughs> Again, uh, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with the profession or anything like that. But I would say that um, first time home buyers, buyers in general, listers, they all have to now do their homework to find a good realtor that can get them that good deal. Now, what do you think is, this is a crystal ball question. <laughs> Where do you think the market is going? I know there's a lot of people who are like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to wait it out. Maybe the market's going to crash. Um, some people are like, it's going, maybe the, I want to see where the interest rates are going. Maybe it's going to go up. Um, 
I know we've touched, you've touched upon this a little bit. For those people, though, who said, okay, uh, who are thinking, I wanted to originally buy in the next six months, but I don't know anymore. What's your kind of advice for them? Yeah. Uh, with interest rates going up, and I, under, I understand there's a lot of implications here, but you also have to look at it from a very, very basic level and, and dumb it down a little bit. If you're buying the same exact house, mm-hmm. would you rather do it today when interest is at 3% or would you rather wait six months and do it when it's at 4%? Price on the house being the same, everything else being the same. When When's more advan- advantageous to do it? Yeah. It's now while the yeah. interest rate is lower than what it would be. So I'm telling people, go get those pre-approvals, get, get locked in at a certain rate, give yourself the option. Uh, don't pigeon, pigeonhole yourself. Um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people are, oh, the market's crashing, but I don't think it is. A lot of people out there don't think it is. Investors are gobbling up properties right now. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is if you look at the, your opportunity to actually get in when it's a little bit calm, that's now. And people kick themselves. And uh, back to what do I see in six months? I think we're back a little bit to the bidding wars. I don't think they're going to be as crazy as they Mm. were, but I do think you're going to see some more disappointment with people. They're going to be disappointed they didn't get in during this lull. Uh, They're going to be disappointed they now have to compete with more people. And it's funny is all the buyers out there said, you know what? I wish I didn't have to compete. You know what? I wish I had a little more time. But then all of a sudden when they actually have what they want, they decide to go sit on the sidelines. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. So right now I'm, I'm having a lot of frank conversations with people of, you know what? If you buy in now and it drops for the next year or two years, what are we talking about? Worst case scenario. Imagine if it drops 10%. Mm-hmm. Are you selling in here? No, you're not. You're staying for a while because you're locked in at what you're paying. Mm-hmm. So your house value dropping doesn't mean your payment goes up or your affordability is less. All it means is that you have a temporary dip. So it's just like the stock market. When your stock dips a little bit and is at the bottom, are you going to sell? <laughs> no, you're going to wait till it comes back up. I know house is much longer term, not quite as, as liquid as a stock, but you want to buy low yeah. and we're at that point. So take the opportunity, buy low, hold for 10 years. Because if you look at the real estate statistics at the um, measures of increase in value, there's no time in real estate where it hasn't gone up on an average seven, about roughly 7%. So if you look oh, at wow. from like 1930 to 1950, the average is 7%. You do it from mm. 1930 to 1960, that 30 year average 7%. You do it from 1940 to 1960, no matter what 20 or 30 year, 10 year gap you pick, the average is always 7%. Yeah. So eating inflation, you, you own something tangible. So not only is it rising in value typically, at the same time, you're also paying things down. So for myself, how I acquired real estate was I live in something for a little bit, let it go up in value, pay down the balance, and that gap widens. I can then borrow some of that to get into my next home, an upgrade, while I rent out the remaining property. Yeah. So, yes, it does come into mortgage approvals of how much you can be qualified for. Um, so you got to n- deal with those things. But at the end of the day, 
the market is not going to drop too far because if we drop 10 percent yeah. invest blood in and keep it up we have so much pent up demand of people coming in first-time home buyers that from an economic standpoint it's well, i don't want to say impossible but it's highly improbable that we could have a big 25 or 30 percent correction in the housing market yeah i i think and, and there's two things that i want to kind of point out with what you just said firstly like the whole um, stock market analogy, I think it fits in that if you look at Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett's a prolific investor, but he's a value investor. He, he holds a st- buys a stock and he holds it and he does not care if it dips in a day or two because he's holding it for 10 years, 20 years, and that's how he's generated his wealth. It's not any kind of secret sauce or anything like that. Buy and hold. And so it's the same thing with real estate. If you're buying, you're holding it's going to go up. Rents are going to go up. You're going to get, if you position yourself right, if you position your team right, um, you're, it's, you're going to be increasing that wealth. A temporary dip, it's like, if you look at, like even in the stock market, the, the investors that are institutional investors, they'll come in when it's dipping, right? But the retail investors, the ones who have like, you know, a little bit of money and they're fooling around, they're going to get out, right? But then when it's going up is when actually the retail investors normally come in. And that to me, it's like you're getting into a bidding war, which for if you need homes, you have a growing family and you need to do that, that's good. But you should then really jump into the market if it's kind of leveling off. I don't even think we're going down. I consider this a leveling off. People are like, oh my God, it's like crashing. There's no crash. (laughs) It's just (laughs) nothing has gone down. The cost of everything's still the same. (laughs) Yeah. So So if, if this is the toughest market we've had to deal with, and we're we're down maybe a couple like couple percent is like one percent a month whatever it is we're we're basically plateaued if we see the sky falling and that's how much we drop yeah, yeah. that tells you how stable and and there was an article that came out um middle of covid basically to the effect of don't buy gold what's more uh anchored than gold <laughs> toronto real estate <laughs> it was the funniest part. you had to have a little bit of a chuckle yeah. We're going away from the gold anchors, gold standard. We're going to Toronto real estate standard. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people also see what's happening down uh, south in the states, and like their their markets may be crashing. You have to also look at the fact that the states is much bigger, um, the market's much bigger. Some markets are maybe going down, some markets are going maybe going up. But in relative to population, relative to cities, the amount of immigration that Canada has is uh, the states is nowhere close to just outside demand coming in and 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 our laws and being a real estate lawyer i kind of look at this i it disappoints me to some extent but our laws are very different it's not that easy to just start building um more houses and more condos you just have mm-hmm. more constraints because of how our entire industry is laid out that it's not mm-hmm. like tomorrow you know what you got another million immigrants that you're going to get a million houses that's not going to happen and and we have, I think there was there's uh, talks of just bringing up immigration after COVID because I think the first 2019 the amount coming in was less, so now it's going to put more pressure on, to come on the buy side. Yeah, and it's interesting because we have we have this nimbyism at the same time uh, of people that love people love Toronto. Yeah. It's it's no longer and it's shifted. It's no longer right to live in the core of Toronto, it's a privilege. And that's a privilege because we have an amazing city. Yeah. 
for as for as much as there's flaws and people complain and uh, there's a negative spin at time times we live in a world-class city and people don't realize you have to pay for that and that's that's the reality of it is the world is recognizing toronto as that and that's why we're being mentioned among amongst the top cities in the entire world people want to be here including the people that have lived here forever so uh, but i get it it's it is a hard reality and that supply and demand is is just going to keep pushing us upwards so i hope it's leveled off for a bit and i hope people take advantage and don't don't kick themselves because feels like for the last 10 years that's always hurt been what we've been hearing but where i was going with that was the nimbyism that we face of uh, of condo towers being built where uh, the nimbyists are saying hey i don't want it that high i don't want more traffic i understand it meanwhile a lot of millennials are saying how am i ever going to afford something if that's that condo tower isn't higher so let's build more units and it's it's a tough balance but it is a balance that yeah. We've got to go through. So, and and I always argue. I I think Toronto definitely, but I feel like overall, like Canada in general, across Ontario, our cities are world class in that. I mean, it's safe to walk. I you're clean, right? You got so many facilities. All of that comes at a price. And then when you have so many people like it, Toronto that are coming in and 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 buying and 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 looking for jobs. You have an economic side that people don't really realize it's going to come over time where you're going to have more innovation, more businesses starting up. I think that like Toronto has a great amount of potential because we're, we're well, not only are we have some of the smartest people, best universities in the world, but we also are attracting some of the best talent around the world to come in and live in Toronto. Not that this is a Toronto advertisement, but this is my genuine, <laughs> <laughs> genuine opinion. But yeah, no. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. You know, I really loved your insights. If anybody wants to get in touch with Brandon, I'm going to be leaving his contact information below. Any last words, Brandon? Uh, uh, first off, I want to thank you for being here. The opportunity to to chat this through with you and uh, feel free get in touch anytime. And uh, I would love to do this again on different subsections and different things um, because it's neat. There's so many so many different wrinkles to real estate. And again, make sure people out there talk to a professional, mm. give, give me a call. I'm always here, even if it's a quick call, questions. That's how you become educated and that's how you're successful. And that's what I want for the people in my stable around me. So please give me a call. I'm always here to help. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for the listeners for joining us as well. Mm.